Hello, folks. This is Barack Lurie at the Barack Lurie Show and podcast with my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Um, we have a lot to discuss. And what I want to get to eventually is about, um, you know, caller called into my Sunday show and uh, he tried to challenge me. And that was about um, when I said to him my, my mantra, and I say it here on this podcast as well, you can never accuse a liberal of thinking things through, right? And uh, I guess he took umbrage to that. And uh, he called me up, and he, he felt he was going to challenge me. And he said, uh, well, Barack, you know, I bet you can't prove that. I bet, I bet you can't show that whatsoever, can you? Like, how can you say such a thing? I'm a liberal as, as hard a liberal as you can possibly imagine. I definitely think things through. So I said, okay, let's, let's take it to task. And I asked him just, I plucked a, an issue out of the air, uh, which was, you know, of the day anyway, which is minimum wage. And I asked him uh, basic questions about it. And what consequences do, do, does he think that people will have if it's actually enforced? And he was unable to answer the questions. He screamed at me a little bit. He said that I was being typical conservative in words like that. But I said, don't you, don't you want to talk about the consequences? Do you think that nothing will happen? Well, it, you know, you're being ridiculous. And, and I said, you know, you're, you're proving my point for me. You're not thinking it through. I'm saying to you that employers will react when they are now forced to pay higher wages to their employees and you apparently think that that's bunk. But I'm an employer. You're not. <laughs> I know how employers think. And I know, that I, I know how I think when I buy anything, gasoline or otherwise. The higher the price is, the less likely I am to buy it. Uh, I'll buy it when it's absolutely necessary. That's about it. And, and he just couldn't, couldn't get around that. And it was, what, what was so remarkable to me, Ari, was how easy it was. It's not that I, Barack Lurie, am a genius and being able to retort to every liberal out there. No, no, no. This is child's play. I mean, in a way, it's like what we talked about uh, with Obama and who would, who would I prefer to be president? Um, and I said, my toaster. I mean, really, I, I prefer a toaster to be the president of the United States than Obama. And I think he would, do a, he would cause less harm to the, to the United States if the toaster was the figurehead of the United States. And that's the way I feel when I'm arguing with these liberals, because it's actually quite easy. All you have to ask them is, on every issue that they have, what are the consequences? First of all, are there consequences? And then secondly, can you tell me what you think the consequences might be? And if they, if they can't think of it, then you say to them, if you're an employer, wouldn't you want to say, and, and now all of a sudden you're operating at a loss, aren't you going to say to yourself, well, how do I stop the bleeding, right? Well, that, that involves two different things. I mean, you could probably stop the bleeding by increasing your prices. That's one way of doing it, in which case you get the very high prices that you yourself decry. Or you can start firing people, which is the more common scenario, in which case you get the unemployment, which you yourself decry, okay? But you blame on conservatives somehow. So it becomes very easy and uh, this, is, uh, this is not hard, this stuff. And, I, and I, it wasn't like some sort of great epiphany I had or that I had a great presence, uh, presence of mind at the time that I retorted to this guy. I realized this is very easy. Well, the, the, as someone who heard the show, right, okay. it, which would be me, right? what was interesting about was not the substance of the minimum wage versus non-minimum wage argument. Right. That was... Fine and easy, easy like enough, I said. Yeah. Yeah. What was profound was that he, because of how you prompted him, and you didn't use any lawyer tricks, you know, no Obi-Wan Kenobi mind control here. <laughs> That's right. You demonstrated his inability not only to think things through, but an inability to think, period. You asked him at one point, what happens if I'm an employer and I have people working for me who I'm paying $10 an hour to, I'm paraphrasing, right. and my costs are now, because minimum wage goes up to $20 per person. What do I do? His reaction was, could you repeat the question? <laughs> you can't ask a simpler question. Right. <laughs> you, I, I, I could try, but it's really hard to ask right. <laughs> something simpler than that. 
And that knocked him completely off the rails. Right. It never, it never entered his mind. It never entered because because liberals truly think that all that matters is the purpose of the policy, and uh, and therefore the purpose uh, must be the actual result, right? Affirmative action. Well, you're you're there to give uh, minorities a leg up and to, and to improve their lot in life. Therefore, must give them a leg up and improve their lot in life. Uh, well, we ask, does it work? Is it actually helping? You would think after 50 years of affirmative action, we would have. You know, some at some point, you know, roll up our sleeves and say, okay, let's uh, review this policy and see what's going on. Is it doing what we hoped it would do? No, I guess not. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. Gosh golly, it's actually hurting the very people we hope to help. Liberals never want to do the scorecard of accounting. No. They never want to look at the game at the point in the game it is with the strategy that the game is being played with, whether it's chess, checkers, football, whatever, and say, well, what's the score? Maybe we should do something about our strategy here to adjust what the right. final score is going to be based on what the score is now. Right. It's, and, and the funny thing, Ari, and you're so right, it, um, it applies to every single facet of life where there is a distinction between liberal and conservative. Every single one, from abortion to evolution to minimum wage, as we just talked about, to higher taxes, to um, environmental environmental regulations. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Regulations of any kind to the Keystone Pipeline, whatever it is. Yeah, foreign policy, domestic policy, everything. Every single thing. There's not a single exception to it. They will take the most uh, simplistic approach to it and just say, this is what should be done. And if you're against it, then you are greedy. You are a racist and all the things that we've already labeled before that Dennis Prager says so nicely in his seven-word spiel about, about uh, uh, liberals, about what they say to us. And that's all they have. They, you know, it's, truly, yeah. it's truly all they have. And, and their minds, they think they are wonderful people. Yeah. Do you know what else is so interesting? In the call, he said, I'm for a minimum wage because you shouldn't be able to pay a person a dollar. Now, what's interesting about that statement is a complete lack of situational awareness. Situational awareness, like we, like in the analogy a minute ago of a, a football, a baseball game, a board game, means understanding the moving parts around you and how they affect both you and each other. Now, what is wrong with $1 an hour minimum wage? Because it doesn't take, that statement doesn't take into account what the value of a dollar is. Back in the day where gas cost five cents a gallon and gum cost eight cents a stick, right. a dollar was worth basically 50 bucks. A dollar was a hell of a lot of money. If the, if the dollar was strong and we wanted to have a long conversation, which is probably pretty boring, but we could have it about the value of a dollar at a certain time in history, or what the value of a yeah. dollar is linked to, et cetera, et cetera, with the inflation raise, fine. But to just throw out a dollar isn't a lot of money without having the situational the awareness yeah. to add context to that also shows a complete inability to think things through. It even shows up in other areas. Like uh, you and I like to talk about that show Cosmos, which is uh, every time it, it airs an episode, there's always, as you and I like to say, uh, you know, a, a sneak attack on anything uh, involving Religious religion. or yeah. conservative, yeah. Anything. And, and they'll throw it out there, and, and all of a sudden, you, it's, it's like a drive-by shooting, or, or like we said before the podcast, it's like that new knockout game. Right. You're just walking down the street, minding your own business, and suddenly some guy just you know, throws himself, and you're knocked down to the ground, and you're going to the hospital. What happened here? <laughs> it, it, it's, that, it's that crazy. And, um, and what do we mean by that? There was an episode before where they, they were talking about all of a sudden, you know, uh, these people, these stupid people, of course, who believe that the Earth are is only you know less than six thousand years old, and how easily he can disprove that? You see, because the light years demonstrate clearly that this uh, light has been uh, traveling for more than six thousand light years. Therefore, you understand the universe must be older than six thousand years. He's so smug about the process because you know he set up a, a, a scarecrow argument, a straw man argument, basically. It's so easy to knock it down. Uh, and then he, and he's also, even with the evolution mantra, where talking about survival of the fittest and how, you know, those Mormons who don't, don't believe like, like him. But even in his own arguments, it was so easy to pick apart his own arguments. But what he would like us to believe, and he gave an example of the brown bear versus the white bears during 
during the polar bear situation. We talked about this before. But what was interesting to me is that he tried to demonstrate it with the cartoon animation. You know, how the, the brown bear now started suffering because the white bear was getting more of the fish because, and, and other animals that it was killing. Because it could hide in the snow better. Because it could hide in the snow better. And as a consequence, uh, the white polar bear, you see him getting fatter or, or more healthy at least, and the brown bear is getting thin and emaciated, and he's dying off. Okay. So then, and then from there he says, and that applies to everything. He wants you to think that applies to everything. And, and then it begs the question, like, well, wait a minute. How do we get two eyes? How do we get male and female? How did that happen? Right? I mean, it, it just, you just have to drill a little bit down. Just scratch just a, below the surface slightly. And then all the things that have to work together. How do they come together just by themselves? Right? I mean, even think about your legs. Right? How did, how did it, you know, you, you can't run on one foot. <laughs> you know, your body's designed with two feet, two legs, right? That's for balance. So what, what happened first? The right leg was created first and then mutation said, well, let's see what happens when we have a left leg. I mean, how does that work? <laughs> That's a great point, right? <laughs> Do we start with three and then cut back to yeah, two? I mean, this is not necessary. Yeah, did we go through <laughs> billions and billions of years of evolution to... Get to two, right? Five, seven, three, right. one, two. So oh, two. So how do we get there? How do we? How do we? Uh, you know, they, they get to these points. And I think you brought up the topic of cosmos recently. Um, he was bringing up the point. The narrator. What was that again, Ari? The one um, last night where uh, he's using animation to. Um, illustrate legends. It, it really is funny. What I'm gathering from watching Cosmos is it's just fine to worship gods as long as they're in pantheons by, from long extinct cultures. Right. Okay? That's as long right. as I believe in Zeus or some pagan pantheon or right, something, right. it's just fine. But if I believe in one god, the creator of the universe, then you're who, who doesn't have human qualities and frailties and failings, then I'm a lunatic. Right. So he's uh, explaining how uh, the stories of the gods that different cultures create uh, to explain star positions or right. some such thing, without getting too far into the you know the technicalities of this, he's talking about a star cluster. He's saying the legend about this one is of these seven uh, Amer uh, American Indian women who were uh, dancing by a, a river. And then some bears attacked them, and they ran and they ran and told their sun god or something sees them in trouble when they prayed to him, and he lifted them up on a mountain and elevated them to become these stars or some such. Yeah. But it was a... It, it, he, he romanticizes stuff that no longer exists. Right? Yeah, completely failed cultures. Right. Uh, and, and by the way, they'll do the same thing with communism and fascism eventually. And Islam. And Islam. Know. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Islam is always a, a, a very noble enterprise. Never mind that all the horrific failings that are involved there. Look, uh, Cosmos will take these pot shots. And this is not a show about Cosmos, by the way. We're simply showing that in every angle, in every respect, the arguments are essentially the same. Uh, they, they throw out an idea... And it's, it's kind of out there. It has no grounding whatsoever. It, it cannot be nourished. Uh, and, and then anybody who disagrees with it and says, well, how are you going to finance that? How are you going to, I mean, okay. How are you going to finance that? How, how is that going to work? Isn't that actually racism that you're advancing <laughs> via affirmative action, for example? Who's going to pay for the minimum wage? Who decides uh, what the minimum wage should be? What is a living wage? Who, who, and who are you to decide that in the first place? And they love words like affordable. What does affordable mean? Yeah. What does unaffordable mean? Right. There, there's a wonderful plasma TV that I want. To me, it's unaffordable. <laughs> so you know what I have to do to afford it? I need to take the money I earn today and save it with money I earn tomorrow until it's affordable. Let's, yeah, right? That's, that's true. That's, <laughs> Just that's, like beachfront real estate. It becomes affordable when it becomes affordable. Yeah. Um, look, a classic example is Obamacare. When, when they told me for the first time that one of the key elements of Obamacare would be that those with pre-existing conditions would have no problem and would be able to be part, they could sign up anytime. That's essentially what it means, right? 
the day after diagnosis, you can get insurance to pro- to protect you from that yes, diagnosis. Absolutely right. Which let's, means it's not insured. Let's let's let's. Say, yeah, ex- <laughs> I digress. Exactly, you digress. That's the, it's idiotic from the beginning, and all these people are just nodding their heads, saying, "Now oh, that sounds really great." It I, I, it is so emblematic of what we are talking about right now. How they don't think things through, right? You and I listen to that and say, "How's that going to work?" How, how are the insurance carriers going to be able to deal with that pre-existing conditions that they now have to insure all of a sudden anybody who has a pre-existing condition? So I get hit by a car. I get maimed by a car. It requires all sorts of you know, horrific plastic surgery and everything else. And I sign or have my, uh, my wife sign up for the insurance on my way to the hospital. That's a pre-existing condition, baby. <laughs> and I'm going to have to deal with it. I mean, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to deal with it. The hospital will have to deal with it. And then somebody is going to say, turn to the insurance carrier and say, hey, pay for this. And then the carrier will say, oh, yeah, that's right. We said pre-existing conditions would be covered. Uh, but, of course, the carrier should have known this better. But the Obama administration it never thought about it whatsoever. They just thought it sounded really neato. Because it just wasn't fair, you understand, uh, well, the that those are, who had pre-existing conditions, yeah. such as, but they're thinking in their minds, you know, cancer and, and all that stuff. And even if they are having that in their minds, fine. But we just can't have insurance that way. It just, it, it just it's is not, financially it, unable to It's to not work. insurance. By definition, it can't insure the unknown. That's right. It's a right? good point. It's it, insuring what happened. Do you ever gamble, like in Las Vegas? Or Very rarely. Okay. I, but I, don't, you I don't believe in gambling. But you understand. No, you do believe it because I, you be- you know something called gambling does exist. That's right? a good point. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't... I don't um, you don't, I don't believe in doing it. I don't I don't have particular okay. joy well, wait, wait, in let, let me get to the point because yeah. I think you'll see the connection to this. Right. What would happen to these businesses called Las Vegas Casino and Hotels mm-hmm. if... Everyone walking in and placing bets was guaranteed to win. Interesting. There wouldn't be any. That's right. Right? That's right. Now, that's because, by definition, gambling mm-hmm. will have a result that you don't know. So, essentially, what Obamacare is, is, is if applied to the gaming industry, it right. would say, we can't have these unknown outcomes of blackjack hands. Right. Okay, we need fairness for everyone. We need to guarantee everyone who prices a bet <laughs> wins. Everyone. Uh, well, you no longer have something called gambling. By definition, the gamble doesn't exist. That's right. It, thus, there will be no incentive on the uh, well, gaming. Well, let me just finish yeah, the thought because yeah. I think I'll be interested where I okay, think I've this. There'll be no incentive for the company that provides the gaming services to offer the gaming services in the way now. Instead, the only way they can do it is by upping the entry premiums to enter the building called the casino. You will now have to pay $100,000 just to walk into the door, whether you gamble or not. Right. Unrefundable. And then if you gamble, yes, everyone's a winner, but you only get back one third of what you gamble well, each time. No, In other words, it's all all the excitement of the game is wrecked. All the fun is gone, and it becomes this their word, not mine, completely unaffordable to the point where it's either that or the entire system collapses. I remember seeing a movie. Um, I forget the name of the movie, but it was a, about a young couple. They decided to travel around the world, and no, I sorry, around the country, and they end up going to Nevada, Las Vegas, and um, lost in America. Yes, that's right. Lost in America. And the woman goes to... Um, the craps table uh, the first night. <laughs> Sorry. She goes to the craps table. She, she doesn't matter. And she's up all night. And she comes back. And she said, I gave it all away. And, I, and, and the, the husband says, what? He freaks out, of course, understandably. <laughs> and she says, it was the most exciting time. It was the most exhilarating thing. Just letting it all roll. I did it all. And, and, of course, he's, they're ruined. So he goes, you know, what does he do? I mean, all he could do is to, to go up to the, to the teller and say, you know, my wife was uh, in some sort of manic state, and uh, can I please have the money back? And they said, no, of course not. You know, that, that was, but that's the way it is in the liberal thinking, right? Can we just have the money back, so to speak? Right. They don't want any of the risk. They don't understand how it works at all. They, they, the, the pre-existing conditions, it, you might as well be saying, 
I want the money back because all they're going to get at the end of the day, and, and I think we presume too much intelligence to them, by the way, when you'll see where I'm going with this. All you'll get in the, at the end of the day is most people saying, I'm not going to sign up for anything until the day that I absolutely need to. Right. And so what people, some say is, oh, it's all a brilliant plan to get us to the single payer system. Okay. I don't think they're that, they're that bright. That's the point. I often say in my, my law firm about people, liars always lie. Lazy people are always lazy. Dumb people are always dumb. Uh, kind people are generally always kind. Mean are always mean. You know, people with, ty- you know, with temper tantrums always have ten- temper tantrums. You get the idea. So we are here saying that liberals think so shallowly. They don't think things through. And I think we've proven that many times in this podcast and in previous podcasts. And yet we we are ascribing to them this extraordinary amount of intelligence that this is all part of a diabolical plot to actually go to a single-payer system, that that's what they're actually designing the whole system for. I don't give them that much credit. It may end up being there because of all the, the, the mess that the Obamacare has made, but it, it ain't so. Uh, look, I want to talk about another topic that we talked about uh, a couple of podcasts ago where you and I predicted that, uh, you know, remember how we predicted about pornography in the future, uh, you know, the way that uh, homosexuality would be reviewed, um, viewed in the future. And then, of course, we talked about um, polygamy. And we said that polygamy would uh, take hold. But not, it wouldn't be polygamy in the way we think of it, right? It's going to be polygamy in a very different way. When we think of polygamy today, we think of some man in control of 15, 20, 30 women in some Arizona desert, right? And it's a cult type thing, and all the girls are very young. In fact, they're underage, um, and they're all pregnant because he's sleeping with them all. No, I'm not talking about that kind. I'm not even talking about the polygamy where you actually have three people, four people, five people, uh, just all in love with each other, and all, you know, overage, and all, you know, come to their senses and such, I'm not even talking about that. I'm saying that marriage, the way it's going to go, it'll have a different meaning, let's say, 50 years from now than it does today. It'll be so different that we'll talk about marriage in the same way that we talk about how things used to be, you know, the the original purpose of, you know, um, uh, rule of thumb, for example, right? There's apparently a historical reason for that. Uh, There's all sorts of, the word decimate, comes from a Roman legion thing. The, the word trivia comes from a Roman phrase and all that stuff. But it loses all, its, all of its meaning. It, it creates a new meaning over time, right? Trivia actually means trivia. It refers to an intersection in the Rome three-way street, trivia. But that's where trivial information used to, used to be posted, hence trivia, okay? So it takes on a different meaning. Marriage will take on a different meaning. It'll be 50 years from now, 100 years from now, people will have associations. They'll be married, more like a partnership, and they'll say, look, you know, dude, I really trust you, and you're, 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 you and I really think alike, and, and I really trust you to take care of my affairs, and if, when you die, you give me your stuff. When I die, I give you your stuff. It'll be these kind of financial arrangements that will have nothing to do with love. I mean, it could deal with love. It, it, it not necessarily anything to do with sex either, right? And then all of a sudden, you have these relationships. And no police is going to enforce a marriage just by virtue of whether or not they're having sex, right? It's not as if you have the sex police coming in and saying, let me see how many, how many times are you having sex per week, right, to see whether or not you're a validly married couple. And do you guys love each other? Because if you don't, we have a problem with that, and we're going we're gonna to deal with that. No, there are plenty of loveless couples. There are plenty of uh, sexless marriages as well. So this is what we're going to see in the future. A lot of this, because the economics will demand it. That's what I said in my show. That's what I continue to believe. So I, you and I thought this was going to be, what, five years, maybe, kind of start seeing a little bit of this, 10 years for sure, a lot more. But no, it turns out that my good friend Ari David sends me an article showing Three lesbians getting married in Massachusetts. Okay, now how is this possible, you ask? 
Well, which, by the way, was the state that first legalized. They are way ahead of their time. Yeah, they cutting edge. <laughs> cutting edge, and they they truly love each other. Uh, so what they did is apparently two of them got married, and then because because you know, still they can only do two, but they worked it out with their lawyers such that in in, in effect all three of them are really married because. Uh, they all worked up a contract whereby everyone is going to enjoy the same rights as each other and such. And they, they long for the day where their marriage will be recognized in the same way as those horrible one per, uh, two-person two marriages. With people of different genders. Two, yeah, that, that, that's going to be the way. And, uh, and here we are. Here we are. You know, they, they are financially, they've got a third person involved now. And they're all romantic and who knows what they do. Uh, you know, behind closed doors, I don't care. Um, and the youngest of them apparently is pregnant with a some sort of sperm donor. Um, that's the situation that we find Live ourselves in. Live the dream. Live in the dream. And if you think that's not going to continue happening, this is this is going to continue happening. It's, this is not a marginal thing. And if you, my dear listener, think that this is marginal and that this is this is a Nothing to worry about. Or it doesn't affect you. It doesn't affect you, exactly right. Then you, then, you, then you truly are not thinking things through. Because this is inevitable. This is what happens when you open the doors toward marriage. And again, not even talking about the, 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 the rightness or wrongness of gay marriage. Let's say it's completely right. Okay? I'm just talking about our attitude toward marriage, generally speaking. Generally speaking. There's such contempt for it. Yeah, you know what's so interesting about you saying that? Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. the, the people who most strongly promote redefining marriage to include all these different variations are the people who, when discussing marriage period, have the most contempt for it. Yeah, that's right. It's, um, they have the most contempt for it. They, w- they expect you to go on board with that. And, uh, and, and they, they have no problem with you know, not having marriage at all. Right to have a kid—that's that's not an issue for them. Anyway, you can't accuse a liberal of thinking things through, as I always say. So, here's something else that came up. Um, uh, Cong- former Congressman uh, Bonnier, do you remember him? Yes, yes, unfortunately, I do. All right, all right. He's, so he's from Michigan. Uh, yeah, a very liberal uh, guy. I, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word wacko, and I, I would say he's a wacko. I'm just saying he's very liberal. He's very. Uh, he's got very strong beliefs on the liberal side. And while he was congressman, he was very involved in telling businesses how they should run their businesses, taxing them, uh, giving them instructions this way and that way. And now all of a sudden he's running his own business and he's discovering, hey, you know, these, these regulations are really uh, cramping my style. These taxes are really uh, making it difficult for me to advance my business. To hire people, it's it's uh, and here it is. It's a it's a it's a liberal who's being forced to think things through. That's what happens. Liberals are forced to think things through Once by reality. He's forced to live under the orthodoxy he imposed. That's right. Oh, well said. Uh, you know the classic line. I think it might have been from Churchill. Uh, is a, a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged, right? Now, not necessarily mugged in the classic sense from in an alleyway with some guy who was. Yeah, well, yeah. I believe both of us fit, and fit that definition. Both of yeah. us. Yes, but you know what? I was never that naive. I always was economically, I was very conservative because I, I always asked the consequences of things. I separated myself mostly in the social realm. I felt that it's good to have, uh, I don't know, affirmative action and everything else like that. But then I began to ask, well... But didn't reality mug you to a certain extent when the realizations uh, set in and you'd go to your liberal friend's who stayed liberal and say to them, but look at this new information. Yeah. Does this not matter? Oh, stop being fill in the blank epithet. Right. That you've obviously become now that you're right. conservative. Right, right. That is exactly the problem. And mugged by reality is the, uh, the key point here is that it's not just about being mugged in the alleyway. It's, it's, about, it's, it's dealing with reality and reality is like Bonnier has, has, to experience is the, the, the notion that you have to meet a payroll. That's reality. Uh, the, the notion that you have to decrease your costs and increase your profits one way or the other. You have to offer a better 
better cookie out there in the world to, to do well. Um, that uh, you know, the more taxes you impose, the less likely people are going to be incentivized to work. They'll ask themselves the question, why? Why should I? Um, these are, this, that's the mugging by reality situation. And what I love about conservatism is it asks the questions. What are the consequences? Um, why wouldn't person X do Y in, in your situation with this policy? Uh, whereas uh, liberals don't even ask questions. They just don't even, it doesn't even begin. They say, well, here, here's the policy and I like it. The, 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 um, the only question they would ask is, well, aren't you a racist for not subscribing to that policy? <laughs> That's about it. The only question. But they don't ask a serious question about what the policy means. They don't take it like, well, well how, what, what will be the effect of this? And that's, that's it's a sad state of affairs. There's like two parts of that that I think yeah. are worth kind of exploring. Uh, conservatives believe in constraining behavior and having complete freedom. In other words, we agree that a government should allow its citizens in an ideal situation to allow us the most freedom possible. And our agreement, the balance with that, is in exchange we will moderate our, our behavior as much as possible in ways that better the, uh, the civil society and, and the uh, law and order of day-in-day -day life. Yeah. Liberals believe there should be no rules on anything. And people can, uh, this is a word from the Jewish program, programs, uh, that people should be excessive. But excessive behavior requires a government to basically regulate the letter of the law on everything. And they don't understand how much freedom that curtails. Yeah. How you wind up with no freedom. And, and a need for no freedom because people have no self-regulation. Right. It's, it's a very funny image that they must have of the world, of business generally speaking. I mean they say on the one hand they're for capitalism. Uh, I mean some, some liberals – like, you know, like my brother and, and otherwise, they say it. But on the other hand, they feel this compelling need to regulate them because, by golly, if you don't regulate everything and deal with every possible loophole, people are going to exploit everything and they're going to just steal from everyone. That's the way it is, they say. So th this, this is from the same group of people that think that people are basically good. That's the amazing thing to me. I, I never understood that. If you think that people are basically good... Right? And why you trust them? Well, yeah, why? I mean, I understand in some sense that's why you think that religion is not necessary. That is internally consistent. It's stupidly false, but it's internally consistent to say that. But if you believe that people are internally good, then why, uh, why do you care so much about regulations? I mean, aren't they going to do the right thing all the time? <laughs> yeah, each and every time. Yeah. Won't people know not to throw out those plastic bags? Right. And yet, you give the, them? But the, no, you have to get rid of the bags. Right. These people, of course, will enter. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just going to you know, lie, cheat, and steal from everyone else. But which is it? Do you believe people are good or, or will they lie, cheat, and steal at every opportunity? I think that's an inconsistency. But again, you can never accuse a liberal of thinking. I, I have a question for you on that, Faye. In your, in your day in, day out activities within the realm of what's generally called street smarts, do you believe on the surface that people are lying to you when they speak? Or do you take the attitude, which kind of which I do, which is, I believe what someone says until I have a reason not to? Yeah, I, I think like you. I, you know, I, I'm a trusting person. Um, I'm definitely not a cynical person. Yeah, without being, say, not naive, I mean, without being naive or overly trusted, if someone's obviously I'm, BSing I'm, you, it's, right. you know. I'm, I'm an optimist, but I also believe that capitalism is such an effective system that it truly harnesses the best in people but by, by appealing to their sense of greed, as it were. I mean, greed, are, greed is too strong a word. Their self-interest. Yeah, by appealing to their self-interest, you will get the best out of everyone. And that's the way it should be. And, and, and because of that, I'm smiling all the time because I think you know, whenever somebody calls me up and they, it's a sales call, they want, you know, they want money, right? They want me as a next client. And I think to myself, good for them. You know, if, and if they offer me something that's valuable to me, I'll sign up and we'll have a relationship. That's, that's fine. That's totally fine. I, we don't even have to be close, the closest of friends, but we can still have a business relationship and we like each other. I'm helping him. He's helping me. As, as Michael Medved calls it, it's the thank you, thank you culture, right? So who wouldn't be pleased 
as heck with such a society, right? But if you don't have capitalism, if you have almost any other thing, system I can think of, you're going to have a very nasty system, very unpleasant system. Yeah, because you incentivize dishonesty. You incentivize hoarding. Like, look at what's happening in Venezuela right now. Because of you have this socialist-controlled system where so much of suspicion is looked at, upon by the regime of outside importers of goods and services, you have no goods and services coming in. And then the people who are probably, many of whom are naturally good people, are forced to behave like greedy animals trying to hoard every last square and ply of toilet paper. And now they've been passed laws that say you can't hoard. And then they've passed ration cards. So even if you've been standing in line for hours in the hot sun to buy the meager supplies on the supermarket shelves, if you don't have a ration card, you can't buy it. And now supermarket owners, I've heard this, this is great, have been forced to spend the money to put in fingerprint sensors to track the identity of everyone who goes in to make sure they're not buying too much and hoarding and reselling through speculative capitalism to other people. Oh, I see, yeah. And, well, that's, and, that's, and get this, one more piece of this that was just mind-blowing. And if the supermarket refuses to put in this, the, the scanner, the government will force the owners of the supermarket to sell to the government. Right. So, so everything in the system is designed in a way to destroy good behavior and honest exchange of, of goods and services. Well, and what you were talking about before was the black market. I mean, essentially, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and and we, we talk all the time about, um, you know what, a very good example of all this is is um, the um, preventing people from uh, the hoarding, you call it hoarding, but uh, gouging. Yeah, the anti-gouging laws. When there's a hurricane, they bring some ice from you, you've the You've got as an example, yeah. So let me, let me go through this. Um, first of all, the gouging itself is a suggestive phrase, right? Just like Affordable, Affordable Care Act suggests something good, which, of course, is the opposite of what it is. The anti-gouging laws uh, suggest something bad, which, in fact... Uh, are actually good, okay? Now, am I saying gouging is good? No, I'm not talking about gouging. I'm saying, you know, let the market decide. You might as well say anti-capitalism laws, right? If, if there is a, <clears throat> a hurricane and suddenly there's a very dramatic shortage of ice, to use your example, um, and somebody's willing to brave the dangerous area and, and slug a bunch of ice down there, and he wants to sell it for a really high premium, let's say $10 where it used to be $1, you know, my hat's off to him. Good for him. He, and you're paying for that rarity. You're, you're paying for him coming down there and braving it. And then the more people see that opportunity, well, I, I'll sell it for $9, a block of ice. Yeah, it creates of, a larger supply of people going down there with ice, more competition, the price right. comes down. It's a and, but, wait, 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 wait. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So it's a classic example. Now, if you, if you allow the so-called anti-gouging laws, what are you going to get? No ice. You're going to get no ice. And, and whatever ice there is, you're going to have people just going after each other. It's yeah, $1,000 a bag ice. Thousand, it's going to be – well, forget about that. I'm simply saying whatever the, the ice is, people will be clawing at each other. It will be savage. Okay? And I can tell you right now, if for some reason we went to a, ca- a communist sort of world and there was only so much food – uh, you know, for my entire neighborhood, and we all got to fight for it. Guess what? We're going to be climbing. Suddenly, my neighbors won't be so neighborly anymore. Okay, but but it's because capitalism brings out the best in everyone and brings out services and goods to everyone else. We can afford to be the best we are to each other. In fact, you know, uh, whenever you provide services, Ari, whenever I provide services, you know, I, I know my goal is to be as as polite and as efficient and effective as possible to my clients because I want them to trust me. I want to get good results for them. And I want them to like me. That's part of it too. Uh, and be friendly to them because if I'm not those things, uh, I won't get repeat business. I won't get referrals. Okay. So guess what? Here I am. You know, I'm, I'm in a sense forced to be nice, but I like it. It works. It works for me. And I like it when people are nice to me. The capitalism does all that. But you won't get a liberal to admit that. And, and the reason? Because they have no situational awareness of the moving parts on the chessboard, and they don't think things through. 
Right. Those right. two things together equal liberalism. And you know, it's funny. These liberals who love pointing at evolution love putting in political systems that cause human de-evolution right. or devolution. Right. Because human beings in those situations that you just described, Venezuela, the behavior there, the behavior in, in uh, a communist country like, say, North Korea, where people are clawing at each other, killing each other for food, mm-hmm. a situation um, in a hurricane where where you have um, an anti-gouging law, thus no ice, which is critically important in right. South Florida in, in the summer, which is hurricane season, you have people who suddenly become animals. Right. The reptile brain suddenly becomes the primary driver about, of their survival instincts. It's all about survival at that point. And, and you want to see people acting badly? Force them into a situation where they just have to survive. That's what's happening. And, but, but again, liberals don't think these things through. I want to talk about um, uh, these other areas that we've all, all talked about, thinking things through. Um, and it, 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 everything, when you think about all of the, the nice topics that we've been talking about, including uh, IRS, for example, right? Um, in the IRS scandal, um, which you uh, helped, underst- helped me understand a lot better, by the way, the... Um, I always like helping lawyers understand things right, exactly. better. Well, yeah. As a high school barely graduate, it's a great honor. <laughs> right, right. No, it's very good. I, look, I needed, to, I needed to know more information about what was actually going on. But think of it from the standpoint, let's go back in time before the, the scandal itself, quote, unquote, broke. Right? So get yourself back there, mindset. Now you're in the Obama administration. You're um, in, among the Democratic caucus. And you're in the, the hall rooms of the IRS, okay? And they're all talking about, wouldn't it be cool to, you know, kind of force these conservative groups to, uh, to intimidate them a little bit, make them think twice about, you know, anything that they do or funding their group. Make it tough for them. Yeah, there are certain liberals in the Obama administration who talk philosophically about doing things the Roman way, which is to right. go into a small village, right. crucifying the first guy they see brutally, and then no one else... Challenges them, but, but so we're not it's based even go, we're not on even that idea. I'm not even going there. I'm not going there. I'm, I want to take us back because I'm going to the point of how liberals don't think things through. So now you're back in their, the, the the hall rooms. It, it just they think to themselves, this would be great to do because we have this law, and we want to make sure that these darn conservatives don't get to raise their voices, and we'll use this tool called the law. Uh, which basically precludes them from using their 501c3 for any political purposes. And uh, we can claim that they are, and we'll shut them down. And they all start smiling. Yeah, good idea. Whoa, you are brilliant, Lois. Uh, and uh, Obama administration nods and said, this is a great idea. Now we got them where we want them. And no one, no one in the room, not a man, not a woman, says, whoa. This could be a big problem if this ever gets out. No one thinks about it for a well, second. Or, or this is a big problem because that's totally evil and illegal to do. Forget the, the public relations sure. aspect. I, I agree. Yeah. Or that, that's, that it is evil. Yeah. That's my point. It's like somebody's got to say to st- – nobody stood up and said, what the frig are we doing? We, this, is, this is totally against the American Constitution. This is targeting at its worst. This is obviously not something we would want for ourselves, and we would we think it's okay to do to them. This is outrageous. We got to stop it. No one did that. Yeah. Let no alone one. let alone pointing I, out. Do we really want to do something that'll completely undermine our ability to have the tax system that we like? Right. But 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 here we are. No one said any of these things, and when they finally were called out on the mat, right? They all looked had one thing in common. Every single one of them. Lois Lerner to all her deputies and everyone else, they all looked like a deer caught in the headlights. This was a total surprise to them. Why are they there? What, how could it be that what we did was wrong? It's, it's like the thief who steals you know, money and embezzles from the money. Or better yet, no, you know what? Forget about that. It's like Ceausescu and all these dictators who are finally surrounded by their very own people who are now going to put them on trial for crimes against the, their fellow citizens. And all these dictators all have this deer in the headlights look like, why are you doing this to me? I provided for you. I've done wonderful things for you. But they, it never dawns on them that they have done something wrong. And that's the way these IRS folks and everyone involved 
That's how they all look. A deer in the headlights, having no idea that suddenly, and, and some of them are smart, and they suddenly say, wow, I guess that was kind of crazy. What was I thinking? You know, it's kind of like all those other scandals that you hear from time to time, like the people in Bell, uh, the, the town the of Bell. The Bell corruption scandal. The Bell corruption scandal. You know, what, had, what it turns out is that they were all doing it, and they, you know, people who didn't otherwise have criminal minds, they didn't think they were engaging in crime. They just thought, well, everyone's doing it. Hey, this is fun. Uh, it, it didn't even enter their mind that it was wrong. And then finally, when they were caught, they suddenly realized, oh, gosh, I, I guess it was wrong. It, it, it's this turnabout in their minds. But again, that requires thinking things through, not just from an intelligence point of view, but from a moral point of view. And you can only get there with the Bible, with God at least. That's the only way. Otherwise, anything is fair game. If you're, if you're an atheist and you, and you, you know, have no guiding principle as, as to what any absolutes for the moral code, well, then you're going to participate. Because, well, I think because after all, yeah. everyone else is doing it. Everyone. And it's perfectly logical. And you can tell yourself no one's getting harmed. Yeah, I think there's even one more step in it, which makes it worse, which is, yes, you're right about the Bible being the way to get there or a belief in God or yeah. whatever religion you are of different forms of Christianity. Whatever language you speak. Judeo-Christian <laughs> tradition. Right. But it also has to do with uh, who surrounds you, the immersion thing. You might be an atheist, but as long as you're around and have respect for people who are religious and have moral values, those moral values will rub off on you to a certain extent. Yeah. I know a couple um, non-crazy uh, activist uh, atheists who are conservative, and they're, they're, they're probably more agnostic by technical definition. They're just, they don't know what to believe. But they don't have a hostility towards those who are religious, as we've talked about in this podcast before. That's right. But because they're around people who do believe in God, the... The uh, kind of like um, a skin contact disease that rubs from one skin to another um, or a common cold, they kind of catch moral values from each other. What's the, the situation of Bell and the IRS that you just sort of uh, enlightened in the vacuums that they are, are clearly vacuum situations where the people involved had no contact with anyone. There was no one standing athwart saying, uh, no, this is a terrible idea. But, it, but it's a function of not thinking things through. Right. And that's my point. But then and you it, surround yourself with more and more people who don't think things through, right. and then you've reached this point of, of terminal velocity. Right. The thing is that they're not thinking things through, and, and the tools which enable them to think things through are lacking. You and I have a, a sense of right and wrong that comes from the Bible and otherwise, religiously. And that helps us. It's a tool. Okay? We know that ain't right. Whether or not somebody finds this or not, God's watching us. That helps us, right? That's a tool to help us think things through. Liberals don't think like that. They just, they cannot, and certainly atheists don't think like that. Now, any atheist that's listening to this or any diehard liberal that's listening to this and you're insulted and you feel, what are you talking about? I'm a big thinker. Okay. I welcome you to call me on my Sunday show or to even email me here at this podcast, Barack at Lurie-Law.com. And give the Sunday show number now so that's they right. know it. <laughs> Uh, what is it? Uh, 1-866-870-KRLA. Okay, got it. All right. <laughs> so um, he, here we go. That the, the point is that you, you, whenever you have a liberal that you're about to debate, take comfort. You're going to win this debate. <laughs> <laughs> That's really the point. It, there's, there's nothing they can say. Whatever it is that they're going to be talking about, a policy or otherwise, you will win the debate. By simply saying, let's say, because let's give them the best benefit. Let, let's give them a really intelligent liberal. A really Alan intelligent, Dershowitz or someone like right, that. Right, right. Alan Dershowitz will talk about, uh, let, let's say he'll talk about how Clinton was really great during the 90s. And because of that, we had a great economic expansion and such like that. And, and let's say you don't know the retort to that, which is, well, that's because Clinton basically adopted conservative policies. Um, and, and that's what got him afloat in his administration. But let's say you didn't know that. Let's say you really got fooled on that one. You can say, well, let's, you can still say, okay, but if, if you believe, Mr. Dershowitz, that high taxes are a good thing, 
what are the consequences? Why not go to 100 cents on the dollar? Is there, is there a point that, that it becomes ineffective? Uh, is, there, is there a point where minimum wage gets ridiculous? What, what, well, yes, of course there's a point. If, if, if you required everyone to do $1,000 an hour, that would be absurd. Okay, why that and why not $100 an hour? Why not $50 an hour? Tell me what, how do you decide what's the maximum? And in fact, why should there be any minimum? Why should be there be any money, period? Why doesn't people, when they're born, get a check for $800 million each from the government, right. and then they just agree to do whatever work or labor needed? Right. I'm just saying, uh, you I'm know, just saying this is yeah. how you can talk. But these to, are the questions. That's these are the, the questions, you questions. All you have to ask are questions. Well, what would happen if we continued doing that? Take it to the nth degree. And you'll see that the liberals will start bumbling. They will not, like, like my friend Dan from the radio show. That's what's going to happen. And it, was, and it was an epiphany for me because I realized this was not a great presence of mind retort on my part. It was so easy. I, it, it, just, I just, it just flowed. And it's not my, my, my brilliance. It's, it's the brilliance of any conservative. It, frankly, it's the brilliance of conservatism merely for asking questions. And you'll see it in every facet of your life whenever you're dealing with the living. My friends, enjoyed the show. This is Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next week. Oh,